Welcome to the Lucky 10,000 Season 4 with your host, Evan. This season, badass women from history. Hey guys, this is Evan with the Lucky 10,000, welcoming you to Season 4. And this is the podcast that gets you luckier than getting to know someone you've always admired from afar. But we'll get to why that's important in just a second. First of all, I want to thank Stitcher and Podbean for hosting us. If we say anything to the course of this episode or this season that is factually incorrect or that you disagree with or agree with or you just want to get in touch with us, email us, lucky10,000 at gmail, underscore, uh, excuse me, at lucky underscore 10k on Twitter. You give us a five-star review on Stitcher or iTunes. We will read it on the air. And I was lucky enough to get a ton of musicians to allow me to use their music at the beginnings of the episode. So I thought talking to a badass woman who also contributed the music. So not only do you get to hear her song, which I'm sure you just heard and enjoyed, and you'll hear an entire uh, performance of it at the end of the episode, but you get to hear the woman behind the microphone. <laughs> so we have on our episode today, big season finale, badass herself, Darby Wilcox. Darby, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And you know, it's funny how this came about because I approached you about using one of your songs for an earlier episode in the season. And you, like every other musician I talked to, was just so cool. It's like, yeah, man, fucking use it. And we just started chatting. And I was like, oh, she's a really interesting person. Wait, I've known about her for a long time. That's when it really hit me. You've been such an institution in the music scene in Greenville for a while. I think the first time I saw you was at Velo Fellow maybe 10 years ago? Yeah. Maybe? I mean, I've known of you for a long time, but until that night, we never really chatted before. And you were such an easy person to talk to, such an interesting person. It's like, why not fucking get her on the show and just have a chat? about music, about you, about life, and you are really accommodating. So, hey, thank you so much for, for taking the time. Well, thanks for being interested. You yeah. Know, that's well, awesome. you're an interesting person. <laughs> um, so you are a musician. You're a singer-songwriter. You play guitar. Uh, do you play any other instruments? Uh, I play a ukulele. Um, nice. Kind of shitty harmonica, <laughs> which I haven't played in in a while, I usually yeah. blow out the reeds. Probably need some lessons. <laughs> um uh, I play a little foot tambourine nice. and uh, um, flute, uh, brushing back up on some flute action. And um, yeah, 
Yeah, it just seems like you're one of those people that's like the center of a spider web almost. I I actually saw not that long ago a post from Jen Snyder about you. And she's a comedian up in Charleston that we had on my other podcast, The Bearded Ones. So we know Jen and we love Jen. She's funny as fuck, by the way. If you want to see a funny comedian, please check out Jen Snyder. But I'm just like, wow, she really knows everybody. <laughs> so you've kind of been an institution in, in, in the area for a while. And it seems like it's almost like the six degrees of Darby Wilcox. <laughs> like, you know, you probably know somebody that knows somebody that knows her. And so you're are you a Greenville native? No, but I've been in Greenville for um, for over 10 years, for 14 years or so. Where are you originally from? Originally from Atlanta and then grew up okay. in Anderson and then moved to Greenville as soon as I could. So you have experienced the wonders of the jockey lot. Oh, yeah. I used to live uh, pretty close by to the jockey nice. lot. I love the jockey lot. It's yeah. been too long since I've been. It's a wild place. It's a crazy place. It is crazy. And I know someone that went there in drag and he ah, was fine. Nice. Yeah, you can go there and buy a chicken or you can go there and buy a vintage uh, belt buckle or, yeah. you know, you could probably, I don't know, pretty much buy anything you want. I, I, I'm I pretty sure there's nothing they don't have. It's like the black market of Anderson, South Carolina. Really is. Yeah. But so that's interesting. So you moved to Greenville. Were you already sort of in the music scene when you got here, or how how old were you when you moved to Greenville? I moved to Greenville uh, when I was eighteen. I moved uh, just just before I turned nineteen. I moved here for the music scene. Mm-hmm. I used to come every Wednesday to Coffee Underground and go to their open mic night. That's play. where we do our improv shows. I love Coffee Underground. Yeah. Their space is so cool. That back room is really nice and cheap. Yeah, it used to. Are there still pews in there? No, no, they've got like real seats now. Oh wow, that is <laughs> yeah. an upgrade. Well, it used to be pews. They even pews. added a sound like a tech booth. Wow, you can. They have a tech board now and a green room, quote unquote, a which green. is about the size of a closet. But I it's can, there. I can't imagine where they would have put that. That's that's wild. Yeah, no, I just think they. I literally cleared out a closet. Oh, nice. Well, but it's still cool. <laughs> Go in there, breathe, turn off the lights. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Call on your ghost. <laughs> um, but yeah, I used to play down there every Wednesday. You could go there. It was all original music. Ray Gunther used to run that. Um, Adrian Little ran sound there, and you had. I, think I know them. You could go in and do three songs, all originals, mm-hmm. and I met a lot of people that are still in the music scene now mm-hmm. from in there. That's where I started. Um, and then as soon as that kind of s- stopped going, you know, I was branching out and the people that I had met, um, I was playing music with them in other venues mm-hmm. back, you know, when the old Gypsy G's was around and the pick and parlor downstairs in the basement and before Smiley's was a thing. Awesome. Um, bef- actually, before Vella Fellow had even opened. Well, I mean, that's you're talking. God, I mean, because Greenville has changed so much. It really in has. Just the last 15 years. Oh, yeah. There's so many venues now yeah. that just weren't around back then. And you've probably played in most of them. Yeah. I remember when Ocha used to still be a more uptown right yeah. above where you know trios is where stellar wine bar yeah is and um i used to play up there sometimes for free yeah <laughs> back back in those old free gigs i paid my dues greenville i have paid my dues thank you for uh now are you a full-time professional musician now is yeah. that your gig musician magician magician no yeah oh god yeah. <laughs> i just got so excited well, let me find some cards yeah i love magic but uh i love music too and obviously you do too and just to get into your past a little bit what was the first time you remember not just hearing music, but something that just changed you and you went, oh, fuck, I want to do this? I remember just being young. I grew up with music. My dad's a musician. Mm-hmm. And so I've grown up singing and playing and 
you know, we did handbells. I played played flute growing up. I played, uh, you know, the wonders of the recorder and, um, everybody has a recorder. Of of course, you know, I was of course in like chorus and, and, um, whatnot, but I, I just, I remember being younger and, um, like 11, 12 is when I started playing guitar, but I remember Mm -hmm. being like looking at people that were, you know, 16 and Mm -hmm. had made it. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. If they can do it, I can do it. Yeah. Specifically, of course, I grew up in the church for a lot of like, you know, um, you know, religious music, but I was listening to like Phil Kagey and, you know, Michael W. Smith and, Mm -hmm. um, the ones that really spoke to me that I, I loved because they were more raw and real were like Jennifer Knapp. And I loved that first Jars of Clay album Mm -hmm. that was out, you know, and, I, I just kept thinking like, wow, like I really can relate to this. This isn't just like the rise up Jesus yeah. <laughs> kind of music. It was more like, I, this is who I am. This is where I'm fucking up. This is where I'm, I'm hurting. This is where I celebrate this, but it's mostly just like the heavier. Yeah. You know, that's real. a problem I've noticed with a lot of religious entertainment in general is it's all so surface. I had a girlfriend who was very Christian and she was from Indiana. And I remember we drove to Indiana once and I didn't have any CDs. I just had tapes. I only ever had tapes. The only CD I had was a Metallica Live CD. And so we listened to that. But then the rest of the trip, we were listening to her music, which was Christian rock. And it was all so, like you said, just, Jesus is great, man. Don't you love God? And you're just like, (laughs) God, can they sing about something else, please? It's exhausting because you don't. There's this worry that you're going to offend someone, I guess, if you talk about real shit. But I'm like, isn't that the point? Yeah. Of of sort of celebrating humanity is to get real with it. And it's not just real as in, oh, my God, I thought I lost my faith once. But it's just like watching a movie where they won't address drug use or they won't curse or they won't do all this other stuff. It's like that's just what real life is. And that's one thing I feel like is removed in a lot of the religious entertainment I've seen. And that's it just seems so shallow most of the time. But these people you're saying were the ones that the first hit you. And we're right. just like, this is real. The warts and all. And it, it, it means something because there's another thing, too, when I watch people in congregations or especially those big like mega churches on TV, they're all doing the hand waving and they've got their eyes closed. But I don't buy it. Whereas if you can just use a song to connect with somebody and to really like talk about some hard shit, you know, that is where I think the real miracle of music is. I agree. with I agree with you. I mean, I want to be as real with myself so that I can be open to growth. And yeah, and, uh, but I think that's also why you're a good performer, because I haven't seen you a ton. But just the fact that that one little show in Vela Fella stuck with me is because I didn't feel like there was any artifice about it. I'm going to tell you how I really feel about stuff through this vessel. And I think that sticks with people. So you go through the church phase, you go through the church music. Who who were the people in sort of not necessarily popular music, but you're more of a folk rock singer songwriter. So who are the people in that genre that really struck you? So uh, middle school, high school, I was doing a lot of uh, Counting Crows, mm-hmm. and what I loved about Counting Crows is that you know that lead singer Adam has got that very raw and yeah. a very unapologetic, wild yes. voice, and I, I love that because you can feel him. Yeah, and feel him. Um, Radiohead in the same mm-hmm. where they just 
you may, may not understand every single lyric that they're no, putting you out because you're like, what the hell are you talking about? But you feel it. Yeah. You feel it. There's a, like a that thing in there. You know, I, I grew up listening to a lot of pa- like Page of the Lion. Let's get, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and of course, like Dashboard Confessional. I was yeah. super into Dashboard. <laughs> and like, but I loved it because he was just unapologetically raw and upset and just like, this is how I feel about yeah. it. And I was like, I just want to give you a hug, Chris Caraba. <laughs> Come here. Well, yeah. I think that's why grunge struck a chord. Yeah. Because people were getting so tired of, and I love metal. I love it. I, even some hair metal I really love. But it just got to the point where it was so overblown and melodramatic and fake. We don't even need pyrotechnics. <laughs> we got rough sounding voices. We got rough sounding production, but it's honest. Yeah. Yeah. I find that to be important in all walks of life. Me too. Yeah. And uh, you come across as a pretty honest person. I try to be, I try to be real. I like to. I like to lay it out there and, you know, if you ask me a question, I don't have a problem. I don't feel like I have anything to hide about who I am or what I think. And, you know, I love to relate and connect with people, mm-hmm. um, you know, and if it's if something that I've gone through can help you, then, then I think it's great. And taking awesome. responsibility for yourself and, real, you know, recognizing where you can grow, where you, you can, you know, um, focus on certain areas that, mm-hmm. that you've, that you've uh, not been as good in. Like, you know, for something small or right now, it's mine's like eating sugar and, ex- <laughs> and accepting the fact that I, I have a sugar problem. I have the exact same problem. <laughs> uh, sugar and bread yeah. are like the two things you don't want too much of if you want to be healthy. And it's the two things I love the most. Yeah, but I, I feel like I, if you're not honest, what are you doing? Like, right. what's the point? But I think that comes through with real art and not to say there isn't anything valid in like the big performances like Kiss is not being honest about their their (laughs) stage presence, but it's fun. But I think it's the artists that really connect with people in a different way that are special. Not to say they're not special. I'm talking in circles. Do you remember the first song you learned on guitar? The first song I learned on guitar... Mm, I was listening to a lot of Cranberries during the Mm -hmm. time and I I'm trying to remember... Ah, uh, that No Need to Argue album yep. I listened to a lot. And that's how I kind of learned how to play guitar. I would listen. I printed out, you know, tabs and I would try to, you know, learn stuff. I, I remember learning a bunch of church music too, yeah. of course, you know, like contemporary Christian music because mm-hmm. I was on the praise and worship team. I, when I finally got good enough, my dad was the music minister and he let me on the praise and worship team. Or I, or I would lead the youth group or whatever. <laughs> but, very, oh. very nice. Yeah. But in, in a lot of ways, I appreciate that because I think as far as performance goes, it, it allowed me to be in front of people. Oh, dude, like I am not a religious person at all, yeah. but I have been blown away by some church performances I've seen. I mean, those big choirs, they're just so comfortable and free and they, they just like give it their all. Oh man, especially if you go to a black church, that's where it's at. Yeah. They know I, what's going and they're, on. They're amazing. Yeah. So now, if you don't mind me getting too personal, and if I do, please tell me to step back. But are you – do you still consider yourself a Christian? Do you believe in a higher power, any of that stuff? I don't consider myself Christian, but I do believe in um, in some sort of energies that help the world go around. Sure. You know, I, I feel like – I believe in karma a mm-hmm. lot. You know, I feel like – I don't know. I'm a little – I don't know if you would call it superstitious or whatever you call it. Um think of another word for it, but you know, I, um, like other, uh, like energies that get trapped or, or whatnot. And I, I don't know exactly how to explain all of that, but I feel like, I feel like there's a lot of cause and effect in the mm-hmm. ripple when, you know, what you, what you do, I feel like humans are very 
powerful. There's, mm-hmm. you know, a lot more energy that we tap into that we don't even realize is there. Like when you speak things into existence. Um, I think that's why I like, you know, numbers so much. And when you find certain things that follow you, when you start paying attention to them, I feel like it, it opens up a whole other world. Like dreams. I, I, dreams are a whole other thing, you know. Oh, yeah. I, I love subconscious, but breaking apart dreams. But you said you love numbers. Are you a math person? No, I'm not a math <laughs> person, but I, in fact, I'm terrible at math. But yeah, so as far as most like, creative people are. Like following, you know, when you take a second to notice when numbers are following you around is like taking a second to look it up. Oh, I see. What what those numbers like imply or or whatnot. Like for me, I have a I have a thing with the number one, Uh eleven. 111 11, 11, and you if you look it up it's like a manifestation number you know it's one of those that's like you know basically like a, an affirmation or positive sign to say like you know what you're doing is what you're mm-hmm. supposed to be doing or taking a second to think about am i happy am i open mm-hmm. am i moving forward and if i'm not any of those things how do i get there hmm. like being more insightful into yourself to manifest the things that you want to have happen like again like speaking things into existence i wouldn't say that necessarily that you know, oh, poof, it's going to happen. But right. I feel like when you start, when you believe in something and you speak it and you, um, you put that energy out there, like you, you man, you can manifest things to happen. I, I, really I, I definitely believe in an aspect of that. Yeah. I mean, there is such a thing as self-fulfilling prophecy. Like yeah. if you put out a certain kind of energy and that to me is mostly how you relate to people. The energy you put out is the energy you get back. And that's where a lot of, I think people struggle with like anxiety and depression and things like that is they get withdrawn because they think this thing from other people, but what other people are, are getting are that withdrawal. So then there's no connection between either of them and they've both sort of filled in the blanks about what's really going on. Yeah. I have a tattoo on the back of my leg. That's a, it's a human heart and it's got flowers coming out of the arteries. And my firm belief is like what you put in, what you take in and plant inside of your internal Mm -hmm. soil is what you're going to get out. Yeah. So, you know, negativity, when you have that inside of your heart, that's what you're going to get out on the other side. I I, I totally believe that. You know, and that's when things don't fulfill and don't happen for you yeah. is because you're you're putting out that negative energy and what comes back to you because people either don't you know believe believe you because you don't believe in yourself or you are automatically expect something terrible to happen absolutely and so it comes that way it's so true and I, i'm like <laughs> almost to a fault i feel like i'm pretty positive about most things in life and i always have been this way mm-hmm. my entire life and i and i i you know i feel like i've had it I wouldn't say easy, but I feel like I'm so easy to go with the flow that I, I feel like good things well, happen. Well, because everybody's the right been time. through shit. Everybody's been through shit. Oh, yeah. And you for either sure. let that shit dictate who you are or you say, I learned something from that and now it's time to carry on. Yeah. And so I feel like things come to me in their right time and I let them grow and when they're ready to, to you know, be harvested. That's or very whatever. cool. So I guess as far as like my religion goes, mm-hmm. I feel like I just I believe in the energy of myself and, the, and those around me, and I do feel like somehow like there's a, there's like a bigger energy of, of all of like sure that connects it all together. I, I um, believe that, and I don't know I coincidences sure, but I mm-hmm. feel like some you know things I wouldn't say that somebody's like pl- mapped it out for me about right. how my life is going to be, but I feel like it's all about what I put into it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there is a cause. Co- there is certainly a cause and effect. Yeah, and there's there's you know it's like it's it's the butterfly effect it's the smallest thing will affect something much larger on down the road so who's to say you didn't meet this person here because this interaction you had with this other person two years ago that you didn't even know were connected you know yeah. what i mean i totally believe that but even this this connection that i've had with you even mm-hmm. just talking to you i feel like you're very easy to talk to i feel like we connect on a lot of levels and i yeah. feel like that like that good 
that good energy has just grown even more so just between us as um, as two humans yeah. here. And I feel like now when we leave this situation, leave this interview, we're going to carry, you know, we'll carry it with us and yeah. it will then be transferred over to somebody else. Yeah. Um, You're not the first person that tells me I'm easy to talk to and I do love to talk. What? So you do? Believe it or not. Oh my God. Two podcasts and an actor. I really like to talk. But now what kind of a church was it? Was it like a Southern Baptist, Catholic? So I grew up Presbyterian. Okay. Uh, so there's a PCA and the PCUSA. I grew up in the more conservative PCA mm -hmm. church in the Presbyterian Church of America. And at what um, point did you sort of, because you're not a conservative person. No. I mean, I had a couple of things that had happened to me over time that I just, you know, made me question. Um, for one, like I, my whole, the, the thing I took the most from religion and from Christianity was grace and forgiveness. Sure. Okay. So I've always feel like that there should be some lenience and some understanding and yeah. some openness and, and like I said, forgiveness. And when things are wrong, but you have to be open to like wanting that too, in some mm. ways. But, you know, so like when I would always think about, of course, I was real angsty. <laughs> but so I would always think about like my emotions and think about like when I did this or that, you know, but always knowing that there was, you know, forgiveness in that. But then watching the other people in my church not have that. Mm -hmm. And my last, like one of my major things that really turned me off was when my dad had come out, uh, well, he didn't come out until later on that he was gay, but when my dad had, um, they had come out that he had had an affair. Mm -hmm. I was 18 years old. I'd already kind of stopped going to church when I was like mm -hmm. 17 or so. I was dating somebody who was very um, not religious at yeah. all and had showed me a whole other side of the world and how people can be. And it was like, oh, all this fear that I've had of, oh, you know, secular people and secular music and this whole other world that I've been kind of sheltered from. Mm -hmm. And I see now it's like there's so much more to it yeah. than just, oh, they're just sinners. Oh, they're they're bad people. Oh, you know, they're the ones that are going to be a problem. Right. They're not a problem. I was like, they're good people. And, right. And they have so many things to teach me and so much about this world that I haven't even, you know, that I've been curious about that I've never experienced. Mm -hmm. that I just want, I want to know about. Um, and so when I kind of started seeing this, I started being like, oh, okay, there's, there's more than what they've allowed for yeah. me. I would like to know more. But then again, like I said, when my parents split, um, you know, that whole grace and forgiveness thing, my my whole church, like my dad went to, I guess the, the elders and whatever, he was a ruling elder in the church, went to the elders and went, talked to them. And, um, they wrote a letter to the church to explain that what had happened with my dad, that he had had an affair, this and that, whatever, and that he was resigning. Well, then I had all these people that I'd never even talked to before would mm -hmm. come up to me and talk to me. Oh, how's your mom? Oh, how are you doing? I'm like, mm -hmm. who the fuck are you? Yeah. Like, you know, and you just want information, mm -hmm. you want something to it's talk gossip. about. Yeah. You just want to talk about. So, like, what kind of Christian way is that? Like, you, no, you don't want to, like, forgive. You don't want to, like, try to be sympathetic or understanding of the situation. Of course, then later on I found out it was, you know, he, that he he was struggling with his, himself, that he right. was gay. And that and so that, that adds a whole other element to it. But I just, I remember. Well, we were we were talking about that off mic. How, you know, and, and this isn't like a blanket, all Christians fucking suck. Because I know plenty of people that consider themselves Christian that are really great people and do, like, love gay people and embrace them and don't think that they're going to hell or anything like that. But there's yeah. always that sticking point of the hypocritical, we love everybody Except this part of you that we think makes you less of a human. And right. I, I, I'm so tired. I just posted this about Facebook the other day. I'm so tired of the attitude of, well, I don't love your choices, but I love you. Now, if you're saying you don't love someone's quote unquote choices, you're saying you don't love them. Right. Because it's not a choice. It's who you are. 
And to say that to someone's face, to acknowledge a, a, a part of who a person is and say that you think it's wrong and that you think it's sinful and that you think they can choose to not be that, you're telling that person you don't love them. Yeah. And I mean, again, that was like my whole thing with, with religion is that grace and forgiveness, acceptance, loving mm-hmm. Some people, and I think I've, I've tried to, you know, instinctually just carry that into the rest of my life. I appreciate that part mm-hmm. of growing up in the church for sure because of that, that teaching that was like kind of. And this was open. all in Anderson when this, this was all in Anderson. Yeah. And, and again, you're right. It's, you know, it was just my experience yeah. in, in this part of um, growing up. And but I mean, unfortunately, we're both Southern born and raised. And yeah. we, I've, I've seen that a lot around here. Yeah, well, it totally turned me off, and I was just like, you know what, I'm I'm done with this. I'm going to go and experience my life and and just see what's out there in this in this world, and just kind of see where I fit in now. Mm-hmm. And of course, I, I kind of carried that over that that loving and acceptance of other people, um, and 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 honestly, like educating myself on like what what they're all about, you know, why they feel that way or whatever. Yeah, getting into theater was a lifesaver for me yeah. because. I had been a reasonably liberal dude for a while, but didn't really know gay people. I'd seen a couple in high school that might be, but they were obviously closeted because it was Greer High School. (laughs) But then you meet these people who are who they are, and it allows you to get past the idea of who they are. I think that's one of the reasons gay marriage is more accepted in this country now, because so many people have been able to come out and say who they are. People have met gay people and worked next to gay people and now know gay people and see them as humans and not this weird, you know, will and grace stereotype. The people I know that have sort of evolved are people that realize that who am I to dictate who you can or can't love and marry? Yeah, especially people that can't even stay married to be right. Exactly. You know, it's like you're on your fifth marriage and you're knocking this person over here who's had a partner for ten years. Yeah. And they still love each other. Mm -hmm. So like who are you to say one of one of my favorite people on the planet was a guy that came out reasonably later in life and you know most people that come out have that sort of rumspringa almost where they just take a couple of years and just go fucking crazy and so wild oats and whatever because of these years of repression but he automatically found someone that he fell madly in love with they've been together for years but they wanted to adopt guess what can't do that in south carolina mm. so they had to move out of state to have a family which is disgusting <sighs> we're behind the times we're getting there we're getting yeah, there we're slowly getting there. but surely Hey guys, this is Evan. Hey, Jason Underwood. And if you're enjoying listening to The Lucky 10,000, then come on over to a podcast where nobody's ever getting lucky, ever. Here on The Lucky 10,000, you're here to learn, but with the bearded ones, we're here to make you laugh. And and maybe you'll learn something while you're laughing. Yeah, learn something like about Batman. <laughs> I mean, for we were on a stint of Matlock for a while. I, it was funny to me. Not the, hey, I mean, I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, that's not how you sell it. Come anything. on over listen to the one podcast, I guess. I yeah, mean, I, I like it. I'd be a shit salesman. <laughs> um, Come buy this car. I mean, I drove it once. You, yeah, probably, you probably wouldn't like yeah, it. You don't want to, <laughs> you yeah, you don't want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? Fuck this. Don't listen to Bearded Ones. <laughs> Come on, check us out. Bearded Ones Comedy Podcast. I knew that. I didn't know that. Well, that's why we're here, listening to the Lucky 10,000. You learn something new with every episode. And while you're here at the Bearded Pods Network, you might want to come and give us some pod love. We're Teddy and the Bassman. We cover all sorts of subjects, speak with tons of interesting guests, and entertain you with a melange of vintage commercials and jingles, and a whole plethora of eclectic music. You might even learn something from us as well. It'll probably be about bondage, but... Teddy and the Bassman! 
But now let's get back to music because I feel like, like I said, theater sort of saved me. You found a community in Greenville that you've become not just a part of, but I think a great representative of. How have you seen that community change since you've been a part of it? I mean, it's it's definitely has evolved a lot. And I think it's just people being open to ideas like what John Durham had put together, like to build a band, which mm-hmm. then, of course, came later on in, in the scene uh, up and leading up to that point. I was going through a lot of my own uh, evolution as a human, yeah. uh, as a musician, as a turning into a, a mom. And, you know, I you had, know, stand up comics always talk about how it takes a few years to find your quote unquote voice that you could be a decent stand up comic. But you got to do it for at least five years (laughs) before you're able to do comedy the way you should be doing it. Is that the same with music? Did it take you a while to find out who you really were through the music scene? I mean, I guess I've always just been who I am. Mm-hmm. I've never, I've never had a problem just being me and always doing what I want. But I guess in the same sense too, like I always had a little bit of anxiety about the fact that you know I wanted to play my music, which was you know kind of like your sad girl singer songwriter mm-hmm. raw kind of stuff, and people are playing Wild Wings and yeah. playing rock and roll, and and I always felt like people wouldn't want to really come see that. Like, what right. kind of market do I have here in this area? Because there weren't a lot of singer songwriters during the time when I first started. In this area, yeah, especially it's all it's all about covers. Mm, like you exactly. can see a band, you want to hear songs you know. And so I, that was that was something for me. And I had played in a duo with a, a girl named Sarah Clinton, who's now in Nashville doing her thing. But we played together for six years when I was living in Greenville. And as soon when she broke up with, you know, she broke off our friendship relationship, which you know we were better for now. But at the time, mm-hmm. we were growing in different directions. Sure. And we, we needed to do different things. And, um, you know, I had come to Greenville, I had, uh, partied, played music, got pregnant, got married, got divorced, moved to Greenville. That's when Sarah and I really started playing the music together a lot. And then when it came time to, um, for, I was going through another relationship, um, or I was about to get married again and she they wanted to do like the X factor or something like that. And I was just like, okay, well I guess, you know, I'll do that. And then I realized that it would like trample over when my wedding was, I was like, if we get on, which I feel like we're different, we would probably do that. Mm -hmm. Then that means that you would miss my wedding. And I remember we were, it's a different time, but I remember her just being like, I'm tired of waiting. Yeah. And I, and I was like, okay. So when she left off to go do her thing, that left me kind of like in a place where I was forced. I'm a little bit of a procrastinator sometimes mm-hmm. and it kind of forced me to get out of being in the comfort of having another mm-hmm. person. So I started playing solo a lot. That I started playing solo and then I would have people come sit in with me like Michael King or um, Shannon Hoover would play bass with me sometimes or um, that's when I met Sam Kruger who plays mm-hmm. bass with who me I've now. I've worked with before um, actually. Love Sam but He's great. Um, I that's when I met Sam and he started playing with me and um, you know, I was still, like I said, just kind of like floating around, just yeah. playing with random people. And so I feel like in that way, that was strengthening, you know, my bond with the different musicians in the area. Um, but I still didn't know like how I could connect in with the rest mm-hmm. of them. Like, you know, TJ Laser, like totally opposite from what I do. Like how the hell would they ever want to be associated with me in any kind of way, shape or form? Kelly Joe in the same way. Like she had this awesome band. Why would she ever want to be friends with me yeah. and then i remember when she because i wanted to be friends with her i was like she's so cool and yeah. i remember when she walked into Vella fellow one night when it was still the stage stage quote unquote was in the front where the little sitting area yeah, was yeah and she walked in and someone was like why don't y'all do a song together and i was like what the <laughs> hell would we even do i don't know and she said the same thing and i was like ah, i just realized there was a disconnect in that yeah 
Um, and it wasn't until, um, you know, I started playing music in with Tonight's Noise, which are all boys from Kentucky, now Matt Fassett's strip. Um, so Matt Fassett and Nathan Gray and uh, Matt Pennington and um, Sam, of course. And then uh, Troy moved down here and he started playing some and John, then John Durham put together the build a Bands. Okay. And it was the first time I remember him putting on the Beatles show and I didn't know John Durham. And I was like, why didn't anybody ask me to be part of that? And I realized that I didn't really, wasn't as like tied in with a lot of people. Yeah. I knew them, but I, we had never worked together in a lot of levels. And then uh, when he did this build a Band, he had like reached out to me and reached out to a couple of the people. And I was like, ah, it might be kind of cool because again, it was after I had caught off a wedding. Um, you know, I was... I decided after I had called off the wedding, I was like, I'm going to play music. But then I got into another three-year relationship. Right. After that relationship, which was right before the Build-A-Bands and stuff started mm -hmm. happening, Sam had started playing music with the Lions of Zion a lot. And I said to myself, I will never let another relationship take me from music yeah. again. And I think when you find your passion, you have to find a space for your life in it. And it doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a ton. But it means that, you know, there, it has to be a priority. Because what would you be doing now? So if work, you weren't in a band. Working at Walgreens. Are, yeah. And who horrible. wants to do I'm sure there oh, are people that love working at Walgreens. of you that love Walgreens. I worked at Walgreens, and so I can say this. Yes. I worked at Walgreens before in the photo lab. Mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah. And that kind of work is just soul crushing if you're is. a creative type. And I was always like, how do I figure out a way to make this my full-time thing? And it wasn't until after um, Jay and I broke up and I was like, I'm going to dedicate my time to music and that's what mm -hmm. I'm going to do. So I would follow Sam around when he would go on the road with Lions of Zion. And uh, so that's when I started getting to know John Durham and uh, Audrey Hamilton is when I got to know her. And so it was like broadening into the music scene because I realized I didn't really hang out. Like I, right. I wasn't really hanging because I was in relationships. Right. And so... When I started hanging out, I started getting to know people. That's when, again, John Durham mm -hmm. had, like, put together the build bands And uh, I was part of that. And I met all these different bands. And I got to work with all these different people. Like, um, Thomas McPartland was in my build a band from TJ Laser, And I was like, oh, my God. Like, that's when we all started kind of becoming friends. Because it's yeah. like, oh, I can respect you because I can – I've worked with you. I know right. how you do things. I see how you perform. And it also pushed you to kind of do more. Because I had mm. – I, until I started singing with Tonight's Noise, I'd always had an instrument. I had never just, like – been a background person getting used to being a background person instead of the front person mm -hmm. was something else for me too it's good it's humbling it also is i think everybody needs that i think yeah. ego is one of the most dangerous things to the creative process it's like it's the same thing in theater if you get leads all the time you're gonna think your shit don't stink and you're gonna forget how to be yeah. a, a team player and that's so important it is it's very important um, and so I appreciated that, you know, mm -hmm. and I appreciated being able to be on stage without an instrument during the build bands because it helped me kind of open myself up and do songs that weren't just like me talking about my heart. Right. It was me talking about like, you know, the thong song or, yeah. you know, something <laughs> stupid that I wouldn't, wouldn't have ever been able to do in my project and what yeah. I was doing. But then it kind of, again, just pushed me to, to do more, um, in general in the music scene. And I, I feel like. I, I don't know. I feel like we all bring something that helps us all grow as a unit mm -hmm. in this family. We all have something to bring and we all have something that has made it flourish and help challenge each other to do better, to do more. Um, well, it's it, I think it goes with everything. It's that you want to surround yourself with people that make you want to rise up and meet them at their level. Because if you don't, if you're, say, mediocre at something, but you insist on just doing your thing with people who are way less talented or not as driven or not as hardworking because you just want to be the best, you're never going to get better. If you want to be around people that are going to make you 
raise your game up. And yeah. it sounds like you were really lucky in a way that that relationship fell apart. Yeah. I mean, I feel like everything has happened in my life at its right time. Like I've never, I've never pushed forward to be like, I have to get this done right now. Yeah. You know, it's always just been like when it's ready, when it's time, even recording albums and stuff for me has been that way. It's like almost to a fault because <laughs> I've had people be like, Darby, we're doing this right now. When I recorded my EP, she took to the sea. That's what they, my friends did. They were like, Darby, you're going to come and you're going to sing on a track and then we're going to record your album for free. That's what's going to happen. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Tell me when and where I'll be there. And, uh, and it's insane because from that point on to where I am right now, it's like I've gotten so busy with music. It's yeah. like I have to carve out time to do stuff. I mean, now. that's amazing because people think with any artistic endeavor, I think people think that in order to make a living at it, you have to like go out to California, go to New York, be big and famous. And that's the way you make a living. And I'm learning. I know so many people in music, in theater, in comedy, in all these other things that are names that, no, you're not, you know, Bob Dylan. You're not Tom Hanks. You're not David Copperfield. But you're making it. Yeah. And I think people don't realize that you can do that. It's a, it's a slow, it's a slow burn or uh, if if you will, it's a labor of love, like growing potatoes. Right. You know, you got to let them do their thing and then you got to dig them up. That should be the name of your autobiography. Yeah. Digging potatoes. potatoes. (laughs) Growing taters. (laughs) But now where do you see yourself in 10 years? Are you kind of at the point where you just want to see the community in Greenville grow and be a part of it? Or do you want to branch out and get out of Greenville or, or get out of, of just just go somewhere else and see how you can make it there. Well, I'm sorry. Now that my album is out, I've been able to get out of Greenville. And what's the name more. of the album, by the way? Just it's called 1111, um, you know, because I'm on that train. Yep. I'm on that old number train, but uh, um, big nerd town. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, le- um, what was I saying? Now I got lost because I started thinking. Oh, about you're talking my... about uh, now that your album's out. Oh yeah. So yeah. now, now that my album's out, I have been kind of getting out of Greenville a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I believe it's like a kind of slow divide and conquer kind mm-hmm. of thing. You know, sure. Greenville. I've been in Greenville for a hot minute. Um, I firmly believe in building a community. Absolutely. So because there's power in numbers. And I've been very grateful for the support that I have in Greenville. And I think well, it's also honestly just, just because I've Just be a decent person and, like, be good to people. And that's the definition of a professional, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, but even still, like I said, like, I've been building this community here. So now I feel like I have the support here. So when I leave to go out to go do stuff, I know mm-hmm. that I have this, you know, my community, my my fam base, mm-hmm. if you will, instead of There's a fan base. There's always going to be that support. A, you know, I believe it's family is like, I've got them there to kind of be on my team, be on my side. And so when I'm going out now, you know, I'm, I'm going into North Carolina, I'm mm-hmm. going into, you know, Georgia and, um, hopefully getting up into Tennessee, going to Kentucky. Cool. Um, that's just a little bit at a time, just kind of like slowly. And where have you found a sort of the richest musical place of the places that you've been to the place that just seems to just bleed music that just, that just vibe. I, you know, it's different in every city. It's different in every city. I really, I went to Raleigh recently and really got to kind of get a little taste of their scene. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of support there. There's five, open mic nights there five days a week. I think that's. And amazing. is it like a different style of music up there so than down diverse. here? It's so diverse. I was blown away. For one, at this one place called Emerge. I am U R J. It's kind of like okay. reminds me of the Aquarius, yeah. you know, Aquarius over on Pleasantburg. Anyway, um, but they had. 40 people sign up on their open mic night wow. list. That's insane. They went from 7 until 1 in the morning. Wow. They had 
anything, excuse me, anything from people that did hip hop tracks on their live, full live bands, um, doing rock, doing punk, doing grunge, doing all kinds of things. You know, your typical singer songwriter girl out there yeah. talking about birds and stuff. <laughs> and then you got, you know, um, your dude that just wants to slay some solo up there by himself. It was, it was wild, amazing, you know. I, yeah, I, people people obviously have a stereotype of the South. And unfortunately, sometimes, as we were talking about off mic, that stereotype is true. But what isn't is that there is not enough diversity in the South. Because especially in a place like Greenville that has changed so much and grown so much, there are people from all walks of life here that maybe 20 years ago would not have been accepted. Oh, for sure. And still facing struggles, not to say that everything's peachy keen but it's such a much more welcoming place than it used to be. It really is. And we're and we're growing all the time as far as like, you know, the support in our LGBTQ mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think that's great. When I was in, in celebrating women and celebrating, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, you know, the diversity of color, um, I, which I think is beautiful. I think that's Greenville's great. really just in general become such a vibrant artistic town in general. I mean, visual arts, music, theater. It's all just sprung up, and I, I guarantee you, twenty years ago, no one would have predicted that, especially like the West End of Greenville, would yeah. become this sort of hub for all this creative, edgy stuff. You're just like, no, that wouldn't have happened, and it has, and it's been amazing to see. No, I think it's great. I mean, the fact that we have the gay corps coming to yeah. the Peace Center, I think that's so great, and you know, I. I I think Greenville's growing, and it that's really one is. thing that I really liked about Raleigh when I was there was that they are super supportive of like mm-hmm. woman forward. They are, you know, they have lots of art, lots of great food. There were like five vegan restaurants there. Awesome. Um, there is a huge LGBTQ support system. Mm-hmm. Really excited to see, and I, I just can't wait to to continue to see flourish in Greenville too. Uh, that would be that would be amazing. Yeah, and it's one day at a time, and we're doing it. We're doing it. Well, and with people like you around, I think that'll really help the situation. Now, we're getting to the point where you can probably start wrapping up the episode. But and this may be a hard question to throw at you. But out of your entire discography, what is the one song if someone wanted to say, what is the heart and the the root and the spirit of Darby Wilcox? I just want one song to sum up that person that you've written. What would it be? All my songs are so different because, you know, honestly, all of my songs – Kind of are like journal, what would be a great introductory entries. Darby Wilcox song? Like get probably to know this like, person. Probably um, either my song "Bitch" or "AM" would be a, would be a good introduction. Okay. Um, or like "It's Not You." Uh, really, you should just listen to that first album. But um, you know, because they're all so different. Like "Bitches," "Bitches," uh, a song that I wrote. Actually, it's one of my older songs, but it's still kind of one of those timeless Mm -hmm. kind of relevance songs as far as like what the content is, because it's about like, you know, can't live with them, can't live without them kind of kind of thing, but can't let them go, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I feel like I've kind of evolved as in that in my own self to where like it's not as relevant for me as it was a year ago, Um, even still, because I wrote that song when I was 18, 19 years old, but it's still... Is something that that up until, like I said about a year ago, it's like, you know, you're so good to me, but you're not what I want. Right. And I finally have been lucky to find somebody that I do want, that I continually want. That is the worst feeling when there's someone out there that you just know would be the best thing for you and you just can't form that connection it's yeah. so frustrating so like that, there's that one um am is another one where it's, it's another I, I went through a lot of people trying to figure out you know my 
um, what I wanted. Sure. In life. I knew I kind of knew what I wanted, but I, I wanted to try to give stuff a chance to kind of mm-hmm. get there. And I was like, yeah, this still isn't it. This still isn't yeah, it. Yeah. This still isn't it. You know, not necessarily they're all about people, but like AM was one that I wrote for somebody that that was me giving myself some self respect. You know, being like, you know, you don't you're kind of a narcissist and yeah. you don't even you don't love yourself and how can you expect to be my everything if you don't even love yourself that's like how awesome. do you expect yeah. that yeah. you know um even like uh my song um only me i would you know only me is probably maybe the most descriptive of of where i am more now which is well, more you know that's the song we'll use for the theme to this episode yeah and we'll play the entire song after the episode's over it's proper. not recorded it's the only problem oh, no. it's on youtube which we can, can pull it from it. there yeah I can we can pull it from, it from there yeah only me is the name of it only... and it's from your first album your ep no it's actually one that hasn't been recorded on an album yet it's, oh it's yeah one you of the... literally just said that yeah but um but it's it's basically about kind of like why is it that when we meet people we automatically want to see ourselves with them or want to yeah. want to give them stuff and and when they don't respond the way we want to why is it that we get so upset when honestly it just needs to come down to the fact that we need to be happy in ourselves yeah. no matter what some happens. connections form and some don't and yeah. sometimes there's no logical explanation for it i'm friends with people i'm like i don't know why i'm friends with you we shouldn't be friends we're so different in so many ways and all this then i love celebrating difference but at the same time there's always those people that you're like why do i fucking like you yeah i shouldn't (laughs) and then there's those other people that you're just like I should love you, but I just don't. Yeah, exactly. It's weird. It's weird how that connection well, Sometimes, works. like, those connections just get mislabeled. Yeah. You know, it's like one of my ex-girlfriends is the same way, like, and she's one of my favorite people, and it broke my heart to break up with her. Of course, I was going through... <laughs> I go through a lot of stuff. That's yeah. a whole other episode. But, um, you know, um, we just... We realized, like, we still just love each other yeah. a lot, and we were just kind of mislabeled. Like, it wasn't that, you know, we did anything wrong. We just didn't slow down and take enough time right um to just kind of like realize that about each other you know it and that's was, tough it's like when you find people that you can't even believe exist and you're like holy shit I, this is what i want and you're like oh wait it's not sexual though right it's you know bigger than that it's like it's like a soulmate but it's not right we're the same alien yeah exactly <laughs> yeah but i okay, love that it. would be another great uh, title for an autobiography the same alien mm-hmm we're just shouting out titles We're like crushing right. it. man. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, um, you know, people understand me a little bit better, but, uh, <laughs> I don't just sound like a big, you know, tart, tart of like a cherry tart. <laughs> well, and we should probably go ahead and shut down, but Hey, I just want to thank you so, so much for, for making the time for this. And B, if someone does want to get in touch with you or listen to your music, where could they go? Twitter, Facebook, yeah. Spotify, any of that stuff. I'm not a tweeter, but I do. I'm on the Instagram. I'm on Facebook. You can find my music on Spotify under Darby Wilcox and the Peep Show. Uh, and on iTunes, DarbyWilcox.com is probably the awesome. easiest link to go to. because We'll have a link to things. it in the episode description. Excellent. So, yeah, I really, really thank you for doing this. It's been awesome to get to know you a little bit better. Yeah. Um, and find out that you were pretty much are as cool as I thought you would be. <laughs> Even if you are a little bit of a tart. Yeah, a tart. <laughs> that was a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> I sincerely hope you guys have enjoyed this season, and I hope you got lucky tonight. Thank you.
Thank you for being a part of the Lucky 10,000 with your host, Evan. Email us at lucky10,000 at gmail.com. Find Lucky 10,000 on Twitter at lucky underscore 10k. And visit our podcast network site at beardedpodsnetwork.com.
Yeah.